Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, the demonstrations in Iran following the death in police custody of 22-year-old Masa Amini following her arrest by the morality police for allegedly violating the law that requires women to cover their hair with a hijab or headscarf. Dozens more have died in the protests, which have followed in more than 80 towns and cities. We're going to hear shortly from Nasreen Parvaz, a women's rights activist forced to flee Iran in 1993 after being imprisoned and tortured so badly that she developed a brain tumour. She has detailed her experiences in a book called One Woman's Struggle in Iran a prison memoir. Before we do that, though, just a reminder to encourage you, if you can, to support the Byline Times and this podcast by taking out a subscription. The great thing about Byline Times is there's no oligarch or millionaire backer telling us what to say. We can report without fear or favour because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. So if you can, please subscribe to the Byline Times. It costs as little as three pounds a month. You get more details over at our website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Welcome then to Nasreen. And Nasreen, it's great to speak to you. We're going to talk more about the current events in Iran, but just tell us a little bit about your story, if you would, please. Thank you for having me. I was arrested in 1982. I was tortured. Um, they used bastinado. Bastinado is they put you in a kind of bed and fasten your uh, feet uh, on one side and your hand and handcuff in the other side of the bed. And actually, they pull you both sides and use a kind of cable to hit your feet and sometimes your body as well. And I was paralyzed. Um, when they used bastinado, and one day uh, bashed my head to the wall, and as a result of that, I developed a brain tumor, which was extracted here in uh, 2012. And what were you arrested for in the first place? For the same thing that uh, young uh, people now are in the street. I wanted equal rights for women. I mean, my generation, we were in the streets for having the right for freedom of expression and things like that, a union. And they accused us for being agents of Western countries. So many of my friends were executed. I mean, my sentence was execution as well, but my father could change it. Your father was somebody who had influence in Iranian society. No, no, my father didn't have any influence, but he went to other people who had influence. So I was in prison for eight years. And in 1988, there was a massacre in prison because the regime appointed a committee. And this committee chose people, prisoners, to kill them. And the current Iranian president, uh, Raisi, was the head of that committee. And thousands of people were killed, massacred. For example, from the wing of Wazin, they took 50 prisoners 
and they never came back. So they took prisoners from the prison you were in, from the wing that you were in, and took them to the site of this massacre and killed them as well? Yes. Yeah. My cellmates, their brothers, their husbands were in prison. So they were all killed. In 1982, when I was arrested, I was in an interrogation center. We were there to be tortured. And one of the aim of uh, interrogators was to force us to come to TV and condemn our views and uh, struggle to have rights. I didn't accept it, and I was given electric shock. But some of the prisoners were tortured so severely that they died under torture. For example, my cellmate brother was tortured uh, in his uh, hand was broken. And this kind of torture has been going on until now. And um, the young generation that now are uh, arrested are going to the same treatment that uh, my generation went. They want the same thing that we wanted, freedom of expression, union, and equality of women and men. Clearly, it's a very ruthless regime then and has been since the founding days of the Iranian Republic. How did you manage to get out? When we were released, again, I... um, engaged with um, struggle against the regime and uh, they started to arrest us again so I had to escape. Some of my friends escaped by walking in the snow and crossing the mountains and in the borders but I was lucky my father helped on an agent who could cross my name from the blacklist in the computer regime's computer. They helped me to have a passport. And at that time, it was easy to come to UK. And you've said that the young people now protesting are protesting for similar things to mm-hmm. you. I suppose there is a an element of religious revolution about this, people seeking not to wear the hijab, or, or is that a misunderstanding of what's going on? Uh, no, you're right. Actually, the uprising started by women after Massa was killed by morality guards in their office. So women started to come out to have a demonstration against the morality police. But soon it changed to being against the regime, not only the morality police, but because the hijab is a big thing but by the regime, women started to burn their hijab. And now so many women coming out without a scarf and um, they wave their scarf in the air demonstrations. And the good thing with this uprising by women was that men joined them. And it's a very rare thing because uh, usually men start uprising and women joined them but this time women started and men joined them and 
women started a slogan that um, it's women and life freedom and men chant these slogan as well just to go back to that last question how much of this is an attempt to shrug off a very strict interpretation of islam and how much of it is against the political rulers of the country who perhaps are used by clerics to enforce this repression? It's both, you know, um, because of the religious regime, people don't believe Islam anymore. It's very interesting. I mean, it didn't happen during last two weeks after, I mean, 40 years, slowly people became against the Islam. It's very strange and, and it's very good in my view because if the regime wasn't religious, I don't think this would happen in Iran because they realize how corrupt a regime is and how the religion is used by the rulers and how Islam provides such a corruption by these mullahs. So people now, if you ask, Many Iranians, they swear against Islam, you know, but it's against both. Unfortunately, so many people are arrested since the uprising has started. Many people are shot dead to their head uh, in the street. But it's interesting that people know if they give up, there will be another massacre. Uh, like um, what happened three years ago when there was a um, similar uprising. The regime arrested so many people and many of them were executed and some of them were chained and um, dropped into a dam and were suffocated. In your case, the regime, as I mentioned earlier, showed that it was willing to be ruthless and in the shooting dead of protesters now it's proving to be ruthless and as you say it proved to be ruthless three years ago if people are taking to the streets are they not putting their lives at risk every time they protest against the regime of course they do but they say we don't have to lose anything more you know now it's not only about masters killing it's about the inflation you know, lack of job and all their money, people's money are used by regime and their children in Western countries, you know, they send their children to Western countries, they have a good time, they don't observe their hijab here. But in Iran, forcing women to have their hijab, cover their hair and bodies is a tool to suppress people. In Islam, women bodies belong to the religion and to this government. Women are not in control of their bodies. For 43 years, they are pushed down, humiliated. And so now this anger that you see, it's 43 years of anger. It's the anger of their mothers, their grandparents, their brothers, their sisters, who were executed, arrested, tortured. So it's not only this generation. 
And the trauma they experienced for 43 years. You know, Avish, we Iranian outside Iran, we had the right to shut down, close the Iranian embassies and deport these monsters to Iran. But we don't have the right to do that. Unfortunately, the Western governments don't let us and they don't close the Iranian embassies. The regime is killing people and arresting them for the rights, such as freedom of expression, peaceful demonstration, the right to be in control of their bodies. You say that the people protesting now are protesting on behalf of their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation. Iran was quite a secular society, wasn't it, before the Revolutionary Guard took over in 1979? It was a society that would be recognised as as quite westernised by the standards of the region. Yes, but the problem was the Shah didn't let people to have freedom of expression. And in 1975 to 78, there was a lot of inflation and unemployment. The Shah brought the people from small towns and villages to Tehran and big um, cities to use them as workers. But he didn't provide houses. They just used them. That caused people to come out against the Shah. And then the mullahs used that uprising. And unfortunately, Western governments helped the mullahs. Perhaps people don't know, but Western governments helped the mullahs to come to power. They thought they would still have the oil, but Khomeini and the mullahs took power. Yeah, so the Shah himself was corrupt. He was an incompetent leader. And he had been propped up, hadn't he, by the United States. And many people saw the hand of Western colonialism in the Shah's rule in Iran. I'm just interested to explore how demands for less corruption, for better government, for freedom of expression ended up with an even more repressive regime. Yes, exactly. How did that happen, though? You know, if people were calling for freedom of expression, how did you end up with a a regime that constricted that even more? How did it happen? You know, the Western governments helped Khomeini to come in France, and uh, he had publicity. Lots of Western media interviewed him, and what he said, People will be free and would have free gas, electricity, things like that. Because, you know, Iran is very rich. He said these things, but when he came to Iran in February, in March, he said women have to cover their hair. Thousands of women poured into the street. Unfortunately, that time, men didn't support women. They thought that women's right is different from the right to have freedom of expression, to have unions, to have jobs, these these things. When women poured into the street, men stood in the pavement and watched them with amazement. And that was a mistake. 
because it took more than two years that, that the regime could force women to observe a hijab. But six months after the regime took power, they attacked Kurdistan and they killed so many people, massacred uh, villages, and then started to arrest anyone who was asking for freedom of expression, things like that. And then there was killing, execution every day. And that time, the regime dared to publish the name of those who were executed in their newspapers. When I was in prison, some of my friends, we had a newspaper. And unfortunately, I didn't like to do that. But I had to read the name of people who were executed to see if my friends were among them. And some of them were among them. The United States now is trying to broker a deal with Iran, allowing Iran to develop nuclear power, but the state's hopes, not nuclear weapons. Do you think that constrains Western governments and prevents them perhaps from taking action against Iran and to encourage those in Iran who want the same freedom of expression as we enjoy in the West? I wish uh, now the Western governments wouldn't help the regime in any way, any deal about anything. In lockdown, when people here in England were struggling, the UK government gave £100,000 to Khamenei's office. The Iranian embassy was governed by the same lockdown rules and payments as the rest of the UK. So you're right, Khamenei's office in London received £100,000 of UK taxpayers' money to help it get through the pandemic. Yeah, why this government is helping these monsters, the Islamic regime, why they do that? Because they are together. Why they don't help people now to have a bit of internet facility now that the regime has shut down the internet in Iraq? I suppose the West feels that it has to engage in some way with the regime because if it is developing nuclear power, and if the West can head off that potential, they would regard that as something positive. Because if they don't engage with the regime, and the regime does develop nuclear weapons, as we've seen from Iran's involvement in Yemen, for example, that could be very dangerous for the world. Yes, it is dangerous against any nuclear weapon in any country, not only in Iran. But now, right now, the regime is frightened from people in Iran. It's trying to crack down people, you know. Now it's not thinking about nuclear weapons. Right now, the Western government should help people if they want to engage. They should close the Iranian embassies and send them home. They shouldn't engage with the regime. Unfortunately, the Western governments will help the regime, not the people who are in the street and fighting this regime. And you can see how it had some influence in the surrounding countries. There were demonstrations in support 
of especially women in Iran, in Syria, in Iraq, in Turkey. This uprising has some influence in the region. And of course, the Western governments are frightened of this, not the nuclear weapon. I hope the people in Western countries to ask their MPs, to ask their governments to close the Iranian embassies. It's a big thing for Iranian people. So many people are arrested, are tortured. Right now, people are in the street. They are shot on their head. Thousands of people are arrested. The internet is shut down in Iran. But a few clips of demonstrations and news are coming out. Nasreen, thank you. That's Nasreen Parvoz. Really interesting insight into what is going on in Iran now and what has happened in the country historically. Really appreciate her giving up her time to talk to us here on the Byline Times podcast. And don't forget, please subscribe if you can to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. A subscription to that helps fund this podcast. So head over to bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. We'll see you again soon. But for now, goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.